uh, wanting to elevate uh, our thoughts about who Christ is. And we've talked about different elements. We've talked about uh, the supremacy of Christ. We've talked about uh, the testimony of Christ. We've talked about the humanity of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ. And then last week, uh, Jeff talked to us about the judgment uh, of Christ. And today, uh, our theme, uh, as we close down this, this series, um, is going to be the rest that we find in Jesus, what it looks like to rest in Christ, to enter into God's rest. And that topic, that word even, I feel just um, such a, 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 an appeal to and um, such a comfort in. And if you guys are, are here this morning and, and maybe you didn't sleep well last night or you're in a season with young kids and it's like sleep is hard or maybe just sleep in general, you wake up at two or three every morning and you can't get back to sleep, like just the idea of physical rest is something that's really appealing. Um, same for emotional rest. You know, we've all been in a, a, a challenging relationship where, where things are difficult and where it's just emotionally draining. And the idea of rest from that is just something that, that draws us. And the same uh, for spiritual. You know, I, I think of this last year in particular, and I think about just the stories of, of those made up in this room of, of challenges and trials, hardships and suffering um, that has been experienced in this room alone and, and, and how heavy that is and the rest that we find uh, in God. And so as we open um, this passage today, where I, where I want us to go, what I, what I would want us to walk away from today is, is being able to walk away from God's word with a, with a complete picture of what he describes as rest, understanding it from his perspective. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is I want to connect that to his word. And we're going to get to a really familiar passage uh, down in verse 12. And I want to connect, um, like this passage does, God's rest to his word. So um, let's read it together, and then we will uh, unpack. We can turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It'll be up here on the screen for you as well. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have, who have believed enter that rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, though David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. 
a lot here. I mean, as we uh, read through this passage in its entirety, it's, it's so clear what, the, what the, the subject is. It's talking about God's rest. We see it in the ESV ten times. He's, he's, he's talking about rest. The author wants to, to unpack for us what um, God's rest is. His objective and, and his intent is he wants his readers to walk away understanding the depth of what it means to enter this rest that God has held out for them. And the way he does that is he uses this illustration. If you weren't with us last week, um, Pastor Jeff unpacked um, the judgment of Jesus. And, and in the passage last week and in our passage this morning, um, he's drawing back to an illustration of God's chosen people, Israel, getting to enter into the promised land. And this is an illustration that these readers would have been very familiar with. These readers would have known this story forward and backwards. They would have recited this story. They would have been familiar with every nuance of it. And it would have been something that was really, really close to them because of their their ancestry, because of their heritage. And so he's using this illustration, the author's using this illustration to help them understand this idea of belief, and unbelief, and what it looks like to enter um, into God's rest. And right off the top, we see that there's a warning, that there's this cautionary note um, in his letter. He's saying this promise of, of entering God's rest still stands today, but he's telling them, let us fear, lest any of you should have failed to reach it. And that idea of fear is, is reverence. He says, I want you to approach this topic with some so a sense of sobriety. I want you to, to approach this topic um, not lightly, but really consider the implications uh, of what it is that, I'm, that I have to tell you today. And he's trying to get their attention and, and really let them know that the stakes are high. And he wants, the, he wants them to pay, to pay close attention. Next, he says in verse 2, good news came to us just as it came to them, but there's a difference. The message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And what he's doing is he's talking about um, God's chosen people. He's talking about the Israelites. They've come out of slavery. They've come out of um, this oppression in Egypt. And they've been promised to enter into this rest. They've been promised to enter into this, this promised land that God's prepared for them. But there is a problem. There's an issue here. And the issue is that some have heard and listened and received by faith. And some have heard and listened to that exact same message and not, list, not believed, not trusted, not put their faith in it. And I uh, put together a little bit of a, a diagram here uh, that I think illustrates this. So all of mankind is faced with the same, the same decision. And what we see happening here, what he's, the author's trying to lay out for, for this group of Jewish believers, is that mankind has heard this message. Um, God has given this message of, um, I want to... I, I wanna, I wanna give you salvation. I want to give you life. I want to give you um, this promised land, this hope, this future. And some believed. And when they believed, they placed their faith, their trust, their faith, and their trust in, in that message. Um, and its outworkings was obedience. And for those, it says very clearly, verse 3, we've believed and enter that rest. However, as we lo- looked at last week, um, there's others that have heard that message, that exact same message, and because of whatever reason, have started to look back to Egypt, have started to look at the circumstances that they're in, in the wilderness, and have um, not placed their faith in what God has promised to do. And for those, uh, the message is also very clear. It's, it's spoken of twice here from Psalm 95. It says, they shall not enter my rest. And so the stakes are high. 
we need to, to pay close attention is what this author is trying to, to get these, these, um, these readers to hear and to understand. And I think that the main thing that I want to, um, to do from this passage, one of the main things that I want to do from this passage is unpack what it means to rest. If this is the, this is the subject, if this is, is going to be one of the main themes of this passage, let's understand it from God's perspective. And one of the things that I, uh, I see happen a lot is we can take our pre-understanding of a topic, we can take our um, ideas about a topic and insert it into the text and try and make it fit. And what we want to do is we want to come with a blank slate and say, God, teach us what it means to rest in you. Teach us what it means to enter into your rest. What is your rest? And I think there are really four dimensions um, to God's rest here, and I want to I want to unpack each of those different dimensions. Um, when we, uh, when my wife and I were pregnant, the twice, uh, we got ultrasounds, check on the baby, make sure the baby's doing okay. We never opted for the the upgrade, the 4D ultrasound. Did anybody upgrade for the 4D ultrasound? It's a little bit more expensive, but you can see the baby like in three dimensions. You can see the baby moving. It's actually really cool, um, and I think that's a really uh, cool way of saying like. Uh, of, of seeing what it is God has done. Look at what he's done and being able to see his creation. And um, each of those different dimensions, you can see, see a different element of, of, the, of this little baby. And when I'm looking at this passage and, and unpacking this passage, I really see four different dimensions of God's rest. And each one gives us a little bit of a different picture, a little bit of a different angle about what it is that he's talking about. And I think it will help us to shape our understanding of what his rest is. So the first one is, um, he's talking about the promised land. He's talking about Canaan. Um, he's talking about uh, this historical picture of, of the Israelites entering into um, this land that was promised to them after being delivered from, from slavery. And um, he speaks about it in, in the passage last week, and he speaks about it in this passage. And that's an element of God's rest. It's, it's really an allegory of you were, you were once enslaved, and now I'm delivering you. I've promised something for you, um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give it to you. The second dimension uh, of God's rest that's described here is the seventh day of creation. And as we read this passage, we, we saw that on the seventh day, God rested from his works, not because he was tired or, or needed that rest, but because it was to signify his work is done. It is, it is complete. He has finished um, everything that he set out to do. And closely tied to that second dimension is this idea of a weekly Sabbath or, or taking time to, to, to rest um, in God. The third uh, dimension that we see here uh, is that Christians can have peace with God right now. That this is not something that we have to, to wait for, uh, eternity for, wait for the second coming for, wait till we, um, we go to be with him, that this is something that we have access to uh, today, that Christians can have peace with God now because of relationship with Christ. And the fourth dimension of God's rest is this future hope that we have uh, eternal life with Christ, that heaven is ours, that it is secure for us. And when you put all of these different dimensions that this, this passage talks about, we start to get a scope of what God is talking about when he's talking about rest. And I think um, the way that we can almost insert our uh, pre-understanding of what rest is can, can cloud this uh, passage and, and obscure it in some ways. Because when we think about rest, maybe we're tempted to think about just inactivity, just getting a break, kicking our feet back, um, you know, 
taking it easy, those types of things are what we think of when we think of rest, just not doing anything. And that's the earthly idea of rest, but it's not the, the God, it's not God's picture or God's understanding of rest. And those things aren't evil. I want to be really careful um, how I talk about earthly rest, you know, to, to sit on the couch and, and to get comfortable. Like, I'm a pro at that. Like, I can do that really well. That's not a bad thing to do sometimes. Um, my family can attest to that. But what can be dangerous uh, for us is if we try and solve a problem by running to the wrong type of rest. And I'll give you an example. Um, you're really tired. Your schedule is full. There's a lot going on, and things seem crazy. Things seem out of control. And the knee-jerk reaction is we just got to say no to everything. We just got to, like, we got to cancel everything. We got we to gotta, um, just dial it back. Like, things are getting too crazy. And, and maybe there is some, some change that needs to happen, but we can run towards inactivity to try and find rest when what our hearts are really crying for, what, what our soul really needs is to rest in God and to find our peace and our restoration in him. And as I look at these four different dim- dimensions of, of, of what this passage says with respect to God's rest, um, I don't see inactivity. I see trusting in him. I see putting faith in him. I see looking to him and not to the circumstances of the world. And so um, understanding what rest is and, and what scripture is, is talking about is really important. And, and being able to, to, to uh, then apply that to our lives and say, how am I running maybe to the wrong types of rest at the wrong time? And what is it that my soul is really needing? And what is it that God wants to meet me in um, right there? I think something else that this, this passage does a really good job of, and I had to, I had to camp on it for a couple of days, um, is at the end of verse 3 it says, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And I think that's a really beautiful picture that this was not something that God planned as an afterthought. This was not something that God said, um, oh, plan B, or I'm going to add this in along the way. But from the very beginning, his plan was, I'm going to plan this rest. I'm going to plan this, this, this peace for my people. And the way that they're going to be able to enter it is by placing their faith and their trust in me. And that that was his, his plan from the very beginning. And I think that that's something that, that uh, we can sometimes miss. And I, th- I see it as a gift that God has given. Next, we see a transition in verse 6. It says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he points a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And what we see here is a tie back to verse 1. Um, 6 and 1 are very closely related. He's saying there is still an opportunity right now to be able to enter into God's rest. And that's what the verse uh, in uh, uh, the first verse said. It says the promise of entering his rest still stands. And the second thing he does is he, he's cautioning them. Remember, he's trying to get their attention and say, pay attention to this. This is of, this is of utmost importance. And he continues that here. And he says, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. And what he's trying to do is get them to understand that there is a, a temptation. There is a, there is a struggle. And he's acknowledging, the author's acknowledging how hard it is for these, for these believers to enter into this rest that, that God has planned for them. And what he's trying to do is caution them and say, don't let your hearts be hardened. It's really 
tempting to, to look to the left, to the right, to, to forget what God is actually doing and what he has promised and to get so caught up in the circumstances of what's going on. And that's what the Israelites did. That's what you were at risk of doing. And he's saying, I want you to be careful. I want you not to fall into that, into that same trap that they fell into. And the reality is that some are going to. The reality is that some are going to hear the good news and some are going to fail to enter. And he's trying to, to bring about that warning. And, and in this second section, what he's really trying to do is, is show them God's call to enter, the, to enter his rest, that it's still open uh, to them today. And that's where you get this idea of urgency. Today, he's saying, do this. Don't, don't put this off. This is not something to think about later or to, to, to push off to another time. Like, do this right now. This is, this is of utmost importance, and it's still open for you today. And so that's something that we, we get in his language, that there's, a, that there's an urgency here. And I was trying to think, you know, he's used this illustration of, of, um, of the Israelites and entering to the promised land. And I was trying to think of an illustration that would help um, convey this urgency and convey this, this keep our eyes fixed where we're supposed to be going. And I thought about slacklining. So I, I really enjoy slacklining. If you don't know what slacklining is, it's, that's okay. It's kind of obscure, um, but it's basically like tightrope walking. So uh, it's something rock climbers do a lot. I don't rock climb, but it's something rock climbers do. It kind of helps keep your core strong. It's something cheap and easy to do. And what you do is you take some tubular webbing, you tie it tight between two trees, and then you basically tightrope, walk across it. Um, it's just a good workout. It's fun. It's challenging. And I started to think about uh, slacklining with respect to this this passage because um, I have a picture of some of a slackliner. Let's see if we can look at that real quick. That is a film picture, not a digital picture, uh, probably 17 years ago, and that is Mrs. Wendy Valderrama before she was uh, Wendy Valderrama. We were still, uh, I don't even think we were dating at this point. Um, and so slacklining is a really good illustration, but it's also a really good way to uh, pick up ladies because. You have to hold their hand, and heaven forbid they fall. You have to catch them. So um, this was before we were even dating. This was in Wendy's uh, front yard uh, back in our college days. But when you're slacklining, when you're teaching somebody to slackline, one of the, the um, instructions that you give them is don't look down. If you look down and, and, and what you're gonna, what's going on right here, you're going to fall. Where you want to look is straight to where that tree is that you're tied to. If you focus your eyes there and keep your attention focused on where you're going, then you're going to be able to keep your balance and you're going to be able to start to get the hang of it. And the worst thing that you can do uh, when you're starting out is try and turn around and grab the tree that you're tied to. Like, you get scared, you're like kind of start to walk out, and then you turn around and try and grab that tree. You're guaranteed you're going to fall, then you're going to lose your balance. And that's what these... Jewish believers were at risk of doing is they're at risk of, of looking back at looking at the law and trying to fall back into their old patterns, their old way of, of operating. And the author is saying, don't do it. If you want to enter into his rest, look at where you're going, look at what he's promised for you and trust him. Trust, have faith that he's going to deliver you, that he's going to uh, fulfill the promise that he has made to take you there. That's the type of rest that we that we see. And in verse 8, he goes into this, the author goes into this argument almost to try and help them understand these different dimensions uh, of God's rest, of what spiritual rest look like, looks like. He says, for if Joshua, um, who, who delivered them um, into 
uh, the promised land, had given them rest, if that was all that God was talking about, if it was just that, that one act when he's talking about rest, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what he's doing is he's appealing to them and he's making this argument uh, that there are different elements to God's rest and this is something that is still open to them today and that it's something that they can, that they can grasp and that, that, that God has planned for them. But they shouldn't just focus on this rest in the retrospective, but they should focus it on, on the present and that they should be able to focus on it um, for the future. So he's trying to help them understand uh, by making this argument. The other thing that he's doing um, is trying to get them to understand that, that um, there's this element of belief. There's this element of trust and faith. He says, forever enters God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And the surface level understanding of that is we should take a break. Like we should rest and, and it's okay to, to, to not work sometimes. Like that's, that's, an, that's an accurate application there. But it's also somewhat surface level. What I really think he's trying to drive home when you look at this passage and, uh, as a whole is the next level underneath that when he's saying that, that those who have entered God's rest have also rested from their works as, as God did. I think what he's encouraging them and challenging them in is they've rested from spiritual works. That they don't have to spiritually work to earn, to perform, to try and gain this rest. That that's not the, the objective, that they don't need to work harder or they don't need to, to, to try harder, that they don't need to achieve and perform at a high enough level to, to earn this or to gain this rest that God is offering them. That it's something that's already been done, that God has already completed it. And I think that's a really beautiful, beautiful picture here. And I, I can't help but think of Christ on the cross and with his final breath, he says what? It is finished. He's saying it's done. You don't have to keep working to try and gain this rest. I've already done it for you, and I, I planned that from the very beginning. I planned that from creation. That work is done, so don't try and earn it. Don't try and deserve it. I've done that. Rest from that and enter in by faith. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. That's what he's trying to, to get their, their attention with, and I think that that's something that we need to have our attention gotten with at times. I think about this passage um, as a whole and, and um, just how God has taken me to task on this. Last year um, was just in a very unhealthy place. And I'm so grateful for our, our pastors and uh, just the plurality of pastors and saying, you need to take a sabbatical. You need to, basically what they're telling me is you need to find some rest in God because you're, you're missing it. And I was. And um, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a scary place to be. And it's where we, we take the good things that we do for God's kingdom and start to equate them to value and start to equate them to um, this is when, what God is going to be pleased with and, 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 and this is what God wants me to be doing and I, I need to work harder at it and I need to achieve and, and all of these things and we get, we get stuck in, this, in this, this wrong thinking. And what God really did was, was undo and, 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 and unravel me to be able to say, like, you're trying to do all these things for the kingdom, and what I really want you to do is be a child of the king. You're my child, and I love you, and I'm, I'm pleased with you, and you can rest in me. You don't have to do all of these th- things uh, to try and earn any degree of, of love or acceptance or value or favor from me. Uh, you have it. You're my child. 
And I really see that picture, um, the author here trying to encourage um, these believers in that, in that same direction. They're tempted to look back um, to the old way. And I think for us, our temptation is to perform. Our temptation is to, to try and earn, to try and, to try and achieve. And God is saying, I have prepared rest for you, and that's not what I have for you. Enter this by faith. Enter this by believing in me. I think there's another element to verses 9 and 10 um, where there's a practical uh, time set aside for pursuing Sabbath, time set aside for, for intentionally uh, walking with Christ. And, and um, I think that's something that we should incorporate into our, into our life, into our walk with Christ, is, is setting aside time uh, to be with him. And when I think about that, uh, the way I would encourage you to do that, if that's not something that you're doing right now, the way that I would, would challenge you to, to take a step in faith um, towards that is to schedule um, something that is a physical representation of our spiritual reality. Let me say that again. I want you to schedule something that is a uh, physical representation of what the spiritual reality is. So our spiritual reality is that we are free in Christ, that he has done it. He's finished that work and that we have uh, new life in him, and schedule a time um, that physically represents that. So can you ski or go mountain biking on uh, sabbatical or on Sabbath? Absolutely. Like, connect that to rest, what it is that you enjoy, what it is that you um, can connect with God, and can you slackline? Yes, absolutely, you can slackline on Sabbath. Um, Connect it to something where you're able to say, this is something that I'm doing with the Lord, and it's representing the spiritual reality. Um, should there be time of um, intentionally seeking him in prayer and, and, and time in the word and, 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 and um, engaging in worship? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's part of it. But there's going to be uh, a reality of distractions. There's going to be a reality of all these other things going on. But it's a time set aside in your schedule where you're saying, um, this is something that you have secured for me, God. This is something that you have done, and I want to enjoy you and enjoy um, it with you. And that's a, that's a practical application of this, uh, of this passage of these two verses. I think one of the cautions I would also um, give as you're, as you're thinking about entering into this rest that's offered to us today, um, that's a present ongoing peace with Christ, is to be very careful with uh, media, to be very careful with um, entertainment. And um, that's not to say that Sabbath can't be laying on the couch watching a movie, but um, I just know how much of a competition media and entertainment and um, the world wants to enter in and distract and how the messages that we hear there in those places oftentimes contradicts what God wants to, to give us. And so taking time away from that, escaping from that, and being able to push into who God is and, and to hear from him and to rest in him and to find restoration there. Um, is something that he would have for us and, and something that I think he might um, want to challenge and, and grow us each in uh, here today. So I think that that, um, that, that section is, is of utmost importance right there, 9 and 10. But it transitions a little bit again. Um, and it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Super familiar passage, right? Like you see, you read that, you're like, okay, I've, I've put that on a card. I've, I've read that before. I understand that passage. But 
think about this passage in connection to rest. That's not something that, that I've done often. It's so important, obviously, we take passages in, in their context, but this passage is connecting God's word to God's rest. Why, why do you think that that, that that is? Why do you think he, he chose um, this language specifically for this group of believers? Well, if these are Jewish Christians, if these are um, Jewish believers, the temptation that they might have for God's word um, is to not have it be something internal, but to have it be something external. To have it just be this, this group, this collection of stories, of history, of their ancestry, um, that just kind of sits over here on the shelf and that they reference back to and are really familiar with, but they actually don't understand how applicable it is to today and how it's transformative for today. That might have been their temptation because the author could have easily said in describing God's word, it's beautiful, it's desirable, it's everlasting, uh, it's never failing, it's, a, it's a something to be treasured. He could have described God's word that way to them, and all of those things would have been true. But he didn't use that language. He uses the language of living, active, sharp, and that it's sharp for the purpose of piercing. I think that language is really intentional uh, for them, and I think that language is really intentional for us. It's intentional for them because if their temptation is to have it be out here and to have it be something external, where they need to be challenged is that it, it, it pierces us. It goes down deep to the division of the soul and the spirit of the, of the joints and of the marrow and the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that language, that, that kind of poetic illustration is there to help them wrap their mind around how deep this word needs to dwell richly inside of them. What he wants them to understand is it's not just the joints. You know, our joints are two bones coming together. That's a joint. But what's inside of those bones is the marrow. It's the next level deeper. He's talking about not just the, the thoughts of the heart, but the intentions behind those thoughts. So he's saying, here's, here's a one level of depth, and that's good, but God's word goes down to the deepest depth. And once it goes in there, it's sharp, and it has its purposes. And its purposes are to prune, and to sanctify, and to transform. And when it is in there, it is going to do its work to cut away, because it is sharp, our temptation to, to be prone to hardness, and our temptation to, to unbelief, and our temptation to look to the left and the right and to look back. It's going to cut those things away. And so let God's word dwell richly in you so that it accomplishes its purposes. There's another word here that we have to be very careful that we don't insert our pre-understanding to, and that's the word strive. Because strive to us in our culture means let's get to work. Let's try really hard. Let's work at this, and let's make sure that we don't miss this, and it's up to you, and you need to do this. And that's not what's taking place here. See, we can mis- misunderstand and, and, and misapply the word rest, and we can misunderstand and misapply the word strive. And both are dangerous. And we miss the whole emphasis of this passage if we do that. God's rest is that we are trusting and putting our faith in him that he has done it. That we have peace with him now and that our hope is secure. And strive is not work hard, earn it, perform, do as your best you can. Strive here is really appropriate what God has already done. When he says strive, he's saying appropriate what God has already done. God's already done this. I just want you to appropriate it. I want you to keep your eyes fixed on it. I want you to believe what he said. I want you to trust him, and he's going to do it. 
That's what strive means. And so important that we understand what that word means here in context because if you misapply those two, you totally go off on the wrong direction in this passage. And, and, and the author is very clearly warning and cautioning his readers, don't miss this. And I want to do the same for us this morning. Don't miss this. Um, understand what it means to strive and appropriate what God has done on your behalf. Understand what it means to enter into his rest. And to enter into his rest means you can have a a busy, chaotic, crazy, suffering, trial-filled day, and you can still be at peace. You can still have a rest with God because of his definition of what rest means. And I love how God's word exposes that because we're tempted to be anxious. We're tempted towards unbelief. We're tempted to keep God's word out here on the shelf and to not let it come in and to... Uh, It's work. It's surgical work on our hearts. We're tempted to do that. And God's word goes in and exposes and pierces us. And so at the top of your note sheet there, it says, we enter God's rest when we're pierced by God's word. Um, That's just a simple way of saying when when we trust, when we put our faith in Christ and say, your word is complete and I want to be... um, I want to go under the knife. I want to have your word come in and do its work of of transformation in my life. That's when we get to enter into his um, rest because we're putting our faith, our trust, our belief in him as the first part of this passage um, goes to show. I just love um, those words and how intentional those words are for those for those for that group of believers, but I also believe church family um, this is a well known passage, and we need that same word today. We need to be re- reminded that, that God's word is living. And I could apply this in a, in a way that says, you know, um, very unhealthy application of the word strive. You guys need to read your Bibles more. You're not reading your Bible enough. And that would be a misapplication of the word strive. And what I really want you to, to, to walk away from here is, is to connect God's word to this belief that this is something that is, that is desirable. And I love the passage that says, let God's word dwell richly in you. That's a much different picture than you should read your Bible more. Let God's word dwell richly in you or go out and read your Bible more. You're not doing a good enough job. When God's word is dwelling richly, it's something that is desirable and it's accomplishing its purpose um, in our lives. And I'm so grateful that, that, that it's active, that it's, that it's something that he is actively doing. And so just recognizing Um, with Sabbath rest and with just daily rest with God, how important um, God's word is at coming in and appropriating what he has already done for us. uh, I'm going to transition us to a time of communion here in just a minute. And and, um, I think about um, communion uh, as an ordinance. Uh, You know, we're given two ordinances in scripture, uh, baptism and communion. Uh, But God also talks about Sabbath, and he also talks about keeping the Sabbath day holy. And I almost think about um, Sabbath as a practical application of entering God's rest. It's a time where we where we physically and intentionally say, "I wanna I wanna spend time with you, Lord. I wanna engage with you, regardless of what's going on in my circumstances, regardless of what's going on outside of me. I wanna enter into that rest." And so, my prayer for us, church family. Um, is that we would see the the integral nature of God's word uh, when it comes to entering that rest and that we wouldn't look to the left or the right or to the back um, or to our performance, but that we would be able to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and uh, appropriate what he has already done for us. So let's pray and then we'll spend some time um, taking communion together.